This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in on the work of the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board, which is tasked with making recommendations to state lawmakers and the governor on how to spend potentially billions of dollars secured from legal settlements with opioid manufacturers and distributors. For our update, including a review of the most recent board meeting, we're joined by Deborah Panton, president and CEO of Outreach, which provides treatments and services licensed by the State Office of Addiction Services and Supports and serves as the chair of the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you. Happy to be here. So during the uh, Opioid Settlement Board meeting at the end of September, you got an update from the State Conference of Local Mental Hygiene on settlement dollars flowing to counties. And I was struck by their note that in some counties, uh, no proposals have been received regarding innovative ideas to address the opioid epidemic uh, with a lack of capacity cited as the culprit. Did that stand out to you as a significant problem, or does it seem like the exception and maybe not the rule across New York? It's not the exception. It is the experience um, in terms of, you know, talking to providers. It's a real challenge, and, and we have heard this in the provider community with regard to the RFAs that have been released by the state and by other local entities as well. While providers interested in applying, it's either they don't have the bandwidth to apply, or if they do have the bandwidth to apply and they do apply and they get awarded, they're concerned about the ability to really find staff to, to fulfill the award and to, to, get, to provide the services. So we really have providers in the state contemplating, should we apply, because that just increases our vacancy rate and it just puts more stress on our system, or should we, you know, apply and try to figure it out? So that comment from the LGU conference was clearly a good point that allowed us to pivot to a conversation that, the, as a board, we have been talking about for the last couple of meetings regarding workforce and the need for us in this year's recommendation, do November 1st, but it is for fiscal year 2025. And I think it's important for the public to understand the process in that way. We are beginning to do those, those recommendations. We have gone back and really talked a lot of specific recommendations around workforce. So, you know, as a short-term sort of um, suggestions and also looking at some long-term recommendations as well. So, so then is the reality of that inability to find proposals or find providers willing to take on these projects that uh, the result is that counties with money simply have money that's not being spent. It's just sitting in their bank accounts, so to speak? No, and, and I, I can't really answer that question because, again, the work of the OSWAP board is really with the state. Right. But even as a provider, what um, my experience with the counties is that, and I think they, they mentioned it at the meeting, they have gone back, talked to providers, you know, about what the issues are, and they're, you know, they're planning to put some of these RFAs back out 
modifying them in some way. So my my takeaway from their presentation is that it was not going to stop them they were from, from putting RFAs out. They were going to continue to make those efforts. Well, sticking with the workforce issue, there was a discussion about the way the workforce recommendations were made in 2022 from the advisory board and whether they were prioritized enough. As you think about the recommendations from the advisory board moving forward, what emphasis do you plan on placing on workforce? The things that we talked about was really looking at hiring bonuses, you know, looking at different types of initiatives that will help to recruit and retain staff um, in our field, loan forgiveness programs. We talked about um, leadership pieces. We talked about a series of about, I think, 10 different recommendations last week that we actually discussed and voted on, and they will be in the report. When you think about ways to increase the workforce, are the one-time benefits like a bonus, like some sort of loan forgiveness, as meaningful as higher overall salaries? No. Nothing could really hit a salary, right? Let's let's be real. That's the, the, the kingpin of them all, the salaries. But, but I say that with a caveat because there is salary, there is staff training, I mean, sometimes staff don't leave positions only because of salary. They leave also because of the need for ongoing training. So the state, that being OASIS, OMH, and DOH, have really heard a lot of feedback from providers, and I know specifically also for OASIS, they have made quite a bit of an investment in in staff training. There is a need to really do more with salaries and also staff training. Um, What these other one-offs, I'll call them, can definitely do is entice someone to stay with us, but it's for a period of time. Hopefully, as an employer, we continue to engage them and work with them. But you are absolutely right in terms of the salary is, is the key to it all. But as folks may have picked up in our discussion last week, we did not discuss or vote to have salary increases as part of our recommendations because that has to be sustained over time. And for opioid settlement funds, that is not sustained in that way. It is hard to put something like that forth. So what we discussed, which will be further discussed and voted on at the meeting coming up, is doing something like a position statement, and we have to consult with council on exactly how that can be done because, you know, we are learning as we're doing this and we're trying to create the best we can to to help our state. Um, but doing some sort of position statement in our recommendations that can speak to the need to address um, the salary issues and the benefit issues that could pull employees, potential employees, into our workforce. But um, it's a really tricky situation, but you're absolutely right, and I think any provider would tell you 
that is it. We need higher salaries in this field. But um, I'm not sure, and I don't want to mislead folks to think that the opioid settlement funds at this point can fully address that, probably partially, but sustainable-wise, we're not, that, that has not been the discussion at the board level. But you never know. We will continue to discuss this issue. Well, I want to turn to the implementation of the recommendations the board made last year. And aside from the recommendations that the governor's office said, no, we're not going to touch this for mm-hmm. whatever reason, what do you think of the implementation, more broadly speaking, of the recommendations? Has the state followed the advisory board or have they deviated from what you envisioned? The board asked the state to provide quarterly updates um, to the board in terms of the implementation. And I think, of course, um, as we discussed it, the, the recommendations that's put forth is what the OASIS, OMH, and DOH are working on to implement. Now, would they implement it to the letter of the law as expected by every board member? Probably not, but from the reports that we have gotten, they are pretty much following very tightly to this to that recommendation layout. Um, you know, could it have been done X way as opposed to Y way? Yes, but at the end of the day, um, the RFAs that are coming out from the state are pretty much in line with the, the with the um, priorities that we prescribe. Um, We did rank those priorities, so harm reduction came out on top and then treatments and so forth and so on. So they have been releasing them in that order. But, you know, in the last couple of RFAs, you know, we shared with them at at a board discussion that there might be some alternate ways of doing it. And I have to say, what I love about our board discussions, while they may be heated, <laughs> they, they very much get to a point of clarity in terms of what it is that we are trying to communicate and articulate as improvements moving forward. And I really do think the state, both OASIS, OMH, and DOH, and I can't forget OMB, I keep forgetting them, but they are also a key player, they, you know, take these discussions into account and have been, you know, dialogue, sharing with us at the board or or during the course of time what they are thinking is about our various discussions. Well, as you think about the next report of recommendations for the fiscal year that begins in April, do you mm-hmm. feel like you want to take sort of the same approach to crafting recommendations, or will the recommendations and how you go about shaping them be crafted in some part by what the feedback you've gotten from the state? For example, they said, you know, no go on overdose prevention centers. So do you drop an issue like that? So I'm curious, how, how responsive are you in crafting these recommendations? Good question. So at last week's meeting, one of the things that we decided is that we really did not want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of the recommendations that we put forth 
um, for the last for the last report. We are going to stick with those recommendations, but go back in and fine tune them based on the need for clarity, the need for more specifics, then based on um, based on feedback that we have gotten for improvements from the provider community and so forth. We will also actually at the last meeting, towards the very end of the meeting, we did identify um, a number of recommendations that we are going to discuss and vote on. And I'm not speaking out of school because anyone can look at the, the tape and see that. Um, board members started to identify for me, you know, just just identifying the items. We didn't discuss them or vote on them yet. So I have that full list. And um, all, you know, there will be some new ideas and there will be some old ideas or, or original ideas that might be tweaked in a certain way. But um, we feel, and I think I speak very proudly for the board, um, we, we feel very proud about the work that we did in the first report that covered two years. And I think for 2025, it's going, we're going to go with that report and continue to tweak that report. Well, finally, anyone watching these committee meetings will know kind of what you talked about, how there are some divergent ideas and they can get kind of heated, but you seem to do a pretty good job of uh, keeping your cool and hurting <laughs> these cats. So I'm curious, uh, is it as easy of a job as you make it look or is it, uh, <laughs> or is it difficult? Oh, that's a chuckle. I have to tell you, keeping my cool is who I am, right? It's, it's just the way I try to get to resolving issues and building consensus and building community and building unity because we're not going to get this epidemic addressed the way that we should if we don't address this as a community. And this is probably what I would say is the easy part to keeping my cool is because I've come to really get to know all of these board members um, over the past two years, and I know that whatever gets heated, it's because of their passion and their commitment to see this crisis end. And when you have people like that in a room, I could work with that, as opposed to having people in a room where I have to be pulling teeth and really trying to figure out, uh uh-uh. But these are people that they have passion, they have energy. I, I can work with that. And I just work with it, and, and I think I'm able to, you know, get us and moving somewhere. We wouldn't agree on everything, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, we are a team coming out of that room to write a report to submit to the governor and the legislator. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. I want to thank my guest, Deborah Panton, president and CEO of Outreach, who also serves as the chair of the state's Opioid Settlement Fund Advisory Board. Deborah, thanks so much for making the time. Okay, thank you so much. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.